Well, good morning, church. Merry, merry almost Christmas. Thank you for being here this morning. Hey, uh, just a couple of things to put out in front of you that we need to know about. Number one is that we've got a, uh, a middle school Christmas party coming up uh, this Friday, actually Friday the 29th. It's after Christmas. Friday the 29th at uh, Kevin and Leanna Rueg's house. Kevin and the team are leading our um, our young people here, and it's going to be a fun, festive time. So that's happening. Also, just want to say, parents, you're invited to come. You're welcome to attend, so long as you don't embarrass your middle schooler. Okay? Just remember, they're in an awkward phase of life, and don't do anything to embarrass them. But you are welcome to come. You can also drop them off. That's up to you. You can sign up at the back table, and uh, maybe Kevin might be back there for questions if people have any. Kevin will be at the back table after the service, parents, if you have any questions. But we love getting. Uh, groups of people together to connect. We want to see people connect with God, yes, but also connect with each other. So if you've got a middle schooler, please consider that. Uh, Kevin's doing a great job, Kevin and team, and uh, we love our kids, right? So middle school Christmas party. Second thing is this, um, Christmas Eve is a Sunday. So here's what we're going to do. We've already sent out emails, so you have all this information, hopefully, in all of your inboxes. But uh, next Sunday, we're going to do two services, one in the morning at 10 a.m., and the other is going to be in the evening at 5 p.m. And uh, no kids' ministry that Sunday in either service. We will have childcare for four and under, and we'll make it fun for them. But uh, just, yeah, a unique Christmas Eve service, both at, uh, Sunday morning at 10 and Sunday evening at 5. Same service. So um, if you're the kind of person that feels like whenever the church is open, you have to be there, just know that you just, get, just come to one. Don't have to come to two, right? Don't feel guilty if you just show up in the morning and not in the evening or vice versa. So that's happening next Sunday, 10 a.m., 5 p.m., same, uh, same service. And feel free to invite people. I know there's tons of people out there. Don't invite somebody that has a church home. That's weird. But there's lots of people that don't, they don't attend church at any other time of the year. But around Christmas, like somehow people start thinking about, oh, maybe I should be thinking about God or spiritual things. Like capitalize on that. And invite them, right? We love to, to have people that are not normally uh, being fed or interested in growing get exposed to what Christmas is really about and to hear about Jesus. So consider that, right? Awesome. Um, with that, we're going to jump in this morning. You can turn to the Gospel of John chapter 15. That's where we're going to be. But before we jump in, I want to take you back. This is a, a week and a day ago. It was last Saturday. And uh, we're down in Canton in a, in a rec basketball league that I coach for my fifth grader. I was coaching the fifth grade boys. And uh, we just wrapped up our game. And after the game, we took a little time to debrief kind of off to the side of the court. So there's basketball going on. There's parents coming in and out. It's a, it's a lot of activity. And just I like to take that time after a game to just debrief and to download with the team. And... Um, and I like, the, I like the kids to take a knee because kids are squirrely. And if you don't, if you don't calm them down, they're, they're just not going to pay any attention. So we're all taking a knee and we're just debriefing the game, talking about this. We can learn that. And then like in the midst of that, the Grinch entered our huddle, right? And by that, I'm not speaking metaphorically like everybody was grumpy. I mean like literally a human person dressed in a Grinch costume with a Santa Claus over costume entered into our huddle. Right there, like right there, okay? And, um, and I'm usually pretty good about keeping my in, inside voice inside, but in that moment, uh, I slipped. And I said uh, out loud for everyone, I said, oh, this is weird. Just came out. 
And, uh, and I felt bad because there's a real person inside the costume who has real feelings. And I, then I decided to try to smooth that over. By, uh, this is the best I could do. I said, look, kids, the Grinch is here. <laughs> right? Um, but internally, I, I don't know. Like human, human adults dressed in weird costumes just makes me feel weird. So I, I'm trying to get through this myself emotionally and trying not to like make it weird for the Grinch and, and make sure the kids think everything's okay here because it was weird. Anyway, so we, so apparently the the basketball league they have games all day long. They had they had brought in the Grinch to just meander around and make everybody feel uncomfortable for the day, right? And and to honor the fact that Christmas was here. And so we get in the car and we're driving on the way home. And Megan and I are talking, and um, and we and Megan made this profound observation slash question. She said, "It's interesting." To consider, like, what happens to Christmas the further we get from Jesus? And, like, and, we, and where we go culturally with the holidays. And I kid you not, because the, the Grinch was the centerpiece of rec basketball holiday festivities. The Grinch was it. Not more than five seconds after she asked that question, we're driving, we come up to a stop sign... We look to our left, and here's what we saw. Uh, several skeletons in the front yard of a house with Santa costumes on. Wow. And Megan, even before we, even before we saw the skeletons, the word that Megan used was, she says, it's as if we are moving culturally, we're moving in a macabre direction, meaning like dark and sinister, Right? And we're like, yeah, it really seems that way. Like the Grinch is a veering from Christmas. And then, and then we see the skeletons in Santa outfits. John 15, 5 says this. Jesus says this in John 15, 5. I am the vine. And you are... The branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If I could encourage you to do an experiment for the next nine months, I think it would be fascinating to illustrate this. And I would ask you to go purchase one of those mini citrus trees that you can get in a pot. A little lemon tree. And for nine months, um, actually buy two. And with one of those little citrus trees, I would encourage you to put it in close proximity to the sources of life that will keep that thing alive and flourishing. When it's warm and nice outside, like keep it outside. Let it get full all day sun. Let it get nourishing and drenching rains come down as gifts from the heavens and let it get fresh air just refreshing itself at all times right just do that when it gets cold outside bring it in you bring it waters of refreshment give it a as close to a sun um, lamp as you can get like a uv light just take care get it in close proximity get it close to the sources of life and then here's what you're going to see in about nine months you're going to see that little lemon tree with a with a crop of lemons it's, it, it'll, it, you'll be surprised at how many little pieces of fruit a, a small tree can put out if it's connected to source, sources of life. 
But now take another tree and don't connect it to all the sources of good things that keep it alive and thriving, but instead take that other citrus tree, that lemon tree, and stick it in a four-walled structure with a roof on top of it, separated apart and segmented from sunlight and any kind of a light. Just keep it in a dark room. And don't water it. Don't give it any refreshing waters. And let the air inside that room get stagnant. You're not going to see any fruit on that tree. You know that. We don't need to do the experiment to know what's going to happen. Because when we take a tree and we segment it further and further and further away from the sources of life that keep it alive and thriving, it not only will not bear fruit, it will eventually and actually very quickly wither and die. Jesus says, I am the vine. I, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he or she that bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's the idea that Jesus lays out, similar to the lemon tree. When you and I stay in close, intimate proximity to him, when we're connected to him, we will be like that lemon tree that's connected to the sun and the rains and the fresh air. We will bear fruit. We will be fruitful people. But the further we get away from Jesus, who is the source of life, the further disconnected and alienated from him we get, the, the more we step into nothingness. Fruitfulness is over there with Jesus connected to him. On the other side of that is not fruitfulness, nothingness. And then ultimately and eventually withering and dying. Right? So if Jesus is the source, we want to be close to him. Now let's think about that in the context of Christmas again. Let's go back to the Grinch. Right? Think about Christmas. For, for people who are intimately tied to and connected to Jesus, Christmas is this. It is the wonder that God became flesh and dwelt among us to bridge the gap of separateness so that we could be close in close proximity again to the source of life. Right? And we say, um, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Right? When we're connected to Jesus, like that's Christmas. Manger scenes, wow, oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. Like that's what Christmas is when we're intimately tied to him. Now take one step away from Jesus, the source of life, and then Christmas becomes about, we'll, call, we'll say Saint Nick or Saint Nicholas, who was a great man. He was a bishop in what is modern-day Turkey. He lived in turbulent times, and he was a generous and selfless man who blessed many people around him. He's a good man, but we're one step removed now from Jesus at Christmas. But take one more step away from Jesus at Christmas, and we've moved from Jesus to St. Nicholas, and now we're at Santa Claus. One more step removed, and Santa Claus is the jolly, is the jolly fellow who, well, let's just be honest, can we be honest? Let's just call him the icon of consumerism, right? Because what does Santa Claus do? Well, he magically comes down the chimney and he brings me all of the consumer goods that I want. But he's not only the consumer goods advocate, the materialistic consumerism advocate. He's also, he's also a religious figure, right? Jesus is about relationship. Santa Claus is about religion, meaning have you been naughty or have you been nice? Because if you've been nice, 
here's what happens. You will get all the materialistic consumer goods you want, right? We'll reward you in a religious context for being good. You'll get all the things you really want. You don't want Jesus. You want fill in the blank, right? But if, you, if, if you've been nice, if you've been naughty, then you don't get anything, right? So Santa Claus is a religious tool to control our behaviors to scratch and satisfy our consumer materialistic bents. We're stepping away from Jesus and Christmas is getting progressively um, more weird, okay? Then from Santa Claus, one, one step further away from the source of life, and then we'll, we'll find ourselves in a place where we're just focused in and like celebrating Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman. Um, and there's nothing necessarily like wrong or sinister about them, but, um, right, but with these two figures, you get like a little bit of the magic of the holidays sprinkled in, but it's purely trivial, Okay. Um, there's nothing really there. There's no substance. It's all fluff. As we move from Jesus, let's make one step further away from Jesus. And here's where we get to the Grinch, where things start to take a little bit of a dark and a sinister tone, where the Grinch is devious and scheming. He's always up to no good. He's, he's just got this malevolent heart in him, and it's coming out. But there's a sprinkling of holidays on him, right? But it's, it's trending dark. And then finally, let's take one last step, right, away, at least where we are, are culturally now, or some of us, one final step away from Jesus, the source of life, and then Christmas becomes this, the skeletons, which is dark, right? It's weird. It's sinister. It's a symbol of death. You go from life and fruitfulness to nothingness and death. Like, we're seeing it in Christmas as we remove ourselves from Jesus, in, in, I don't care how many Santa outfits you put on the skeleton, it's still dark. Okay? Every, every, every day we come into Akron, we drive by this this morning, our whole family saw it, ask them. We've got this family in our neighborhood, they've got like these two 12 foot tall, hulking, imposing skeletons in their yard that they put up two years ago at Halloween and they don't take them down now. It's weird, right? I'm not a big fan of homeowners associations, right? Because those people can be weird, but sometimes you want a homeowners association to say, take it down. It's weird. But these, wait, the, this hulking, like imposing skeleton has a Santa Claus outfit on, different than the one we saw last week. Like it's weird where we go with everything, including Christmas, as we take steps away from the source of life that Jesus is. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. We separate to our own detriment in Christmas and in every part of our lives, okay? So Jesus makes this bold statement. I, anytime Jesus, or any, Jesus says, I am, it's a bold statement. And then, like, and then he clarifies specifically in John, as Kemp said a couple weeks ago, seven, seven I am statements that Jesus makes. This is the third that we're digging into. But, but Jesus says, I am the vine. I am the source of life. Now let's ask the question, like Jesus, when you say this in John 15, like to what extent are you talking about? Like, uh, like the sun gives the lemon tree life, but so does the rain and so does the fresh air. Like there's lots of things that like are conduits of life, but you're saying you are the vine. How, like, how big do you mean here when you say you are the source of life, okay? Um, 
Remember last week? What John told us was, if you want to understand Jesus, you have to look at Jesus through the lens of Exodus, where I am, it's God's personal name as he reveals himself to Moses. Go back and tell all my people in Pharaoh that I am sent you. God sending you. Come on, let's go, follow me. Last week, uh, in, right, so John, John is talking about tabernacling and exodus, and he wants us to see Jesus through that lens so that we understand that now, now when we see Jesus, see that God is tabernacling among us in the tent or tabernacle of his body. Okay? You can't understand Jesus unless you see him through the lens of exodus, I am, in tabernacling. John wants us to know that. Right? But, but this week... Um, I want us to know also that John is dropping other hints on us that are well beyond hints. Regarding if we want to understand Jesus is, we've got to look at him through other lenses other than, other than Exodus and tabernacling. Because Jesus is, is that, but he's more than that. And so the first hint of how John would like us to view Jesus and to understand him actually comes out in like in the beginning of his letter where John says in John 1.1, as he's talking about Jesus, he says, in the beginning was the word. Okay, now as soon as John says that, every Jewish person on the planet and any Christian who has ever read the Old Testament knows exactly where John is directing our attention. John is directing our attention back to creation where the first line, right, in John's book in the beginning, the first line in the entire Bible is God is revealing himself. God says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If we want to understand who Jesus is, John says, you've got to go back to creation, you got to go back to in the beginning. And then um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Sounds theologically and philosophically complicated, doesn't it? Well, what does that mean? What's the Word was God, was with God, the Word in the beginning? What does that mean? Well, go back, go back to Genesis 1, and you see that God, who is the source of life, creates everything through his Come on, let's hear it. Through his words. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Vayomar Elohim. Every day of creation where God, the source of all things, makes something, it's through his words. And God said. I don't know if you say anything other than words, but you'd be different than any, any creature in all of existence. When we say something, it's words. So John says, in the beginning, creation, where God is the source of everything that comes uh, in all the world that we understand. He is the source of it. And how everything came through God into being was through his words. And so John says, in, you want to know who Jesus is? You want to understand, you want to understand like, who is walking among you in this tabernacle? the flesh well he is the he is the agent of creation in the beginning he is i am he he is the source of everything that's like some total right he's the source of life like to what extent well to, like all the way the whole way jesus is the creator and sustainer of everything that exists. And then, and then John wants us to, to say, wow, John 1.14, and the word 
Jesus became flesh and tabernacled among us, right? So John says, you want to understand Jesus? We got to layer meaning on top of meaning on top of meaning. And like as we do that, then we'll grow to appreciate who he is. So Jesus in the flesh, God, the source of everything from in the beginning. And now, that being true, uh, verse 6 of John 15 makes sense to us. If Jesus is the source of all life, and if we deviate from him, we move towards not only unfruitfulness, but nothingness and death. Now, John's just speaking the truth when he says this in verse 6. He's actually recounting what Jesus said. Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me in close proximity with me, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. It's actually already withered and you just throw it away because it's good for nothing. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. It's, it's just the way things are. When we're disconnected from him, we shrivel up into nothingness because he is the source. It makes sense of the descent of Christmas from fruitfulness and celebrating Jesus and God among us, chasing after us to bring us back, turning into skeletons and weird, dark, sinister things of the holidays, right? The further we get from the source, the weirder things get. It makes sense of the descent of Christmas culturally that we see, but it also makes sense of the descent that we see in people's lives when we remove ourselves from his life-giving presence. We see it in our cities, we see it in our culture, we see it in our world, not just Christmas. We see it everywhere. Disconnect from Jesus to your own peril. So, who is Jesus? He is the source of all life. So John says, so abide in him, draw close to him, not just at Christmas, but all, all the time. Draw close. And then we'll continue here um, looking at the source of life, Jesus, through the lens of Christmas. And just consider this. Jesus is the source of life. He is the true vine. The source of life in an effort to reach us becomes a part of the creation that he actually made. Tabernacles among us. And in so doing, right, here's the wonder of Christmas. The vine himself, the source of all life everywhere, makes himself dependent upon a different kind of a vine himself. He attaches himself to an umbilical cord in the womb of Mary. What's an umbilical cord? It's a vine that connects the source of life to something that is desperately in need of life. Fetus, right, in and of itself ain't going anywhere. It's not doing anything. But if you connect it to a source, an umbilical cord that's connected to a mother, well, now mom can siphon nutrients and energy and calories and all manner of good things. Right, just from from Mary to Jesus, from Mary to Jesus. Right, the source of life makes himself humble and small enough to be dependent upon an altogether 
different kind of vine, but the same idea. Wow. Everything that Jesus needs to grow, mature, and develop, he is dependent upon Mary for. Mary eats umbilical cord. Jesus receives food. Mary breathes refreshing air. Thank you, Mary. Through the umbilical cord, now Jesus receives fresh air, right? Mary drinks fresh um, and refreshing waters, and now through the umbilical cord of Mary, Jesus receives the life-giving waters. Jesus is not receiving anything right outside of that umbilical cord that he has chosen to make himself dependent upon, the source of life now dependent upon an altogether different source of life. That's the humility and the grace and the kindness and the ferocity of God that when God says, I want a tabernacle among you, like he, he, go, he goes the whole way. He goes the whole way. Right? He could have just popped down in the cloud in the sky and said a couple things and then gone right on back wherever, right, wherever the throne room of God is. It would have been easier that way, but he said, no, that's not close enough. That's not abiding. That's not like deeply connected. I got to walk among them. I got to be like right there with them. And so he, he, the source, makes himself dependent upon a source for the purpose of dwelling with us. So number one, Jesus is the source of life, so let's abide in him. Number two, Jesus, the source of life, makes himself needy and dependent in order to draw close to us. So let us appreciate him. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for drawing close and for going the whole way. Wow. Skip ahead to verse 12 in John chapter 15. Jesus says this, right? It's the I am the vine. It's, it's the section here. It's, just, it's all right here in a couple of paragraphs. Just skipping ahead. Verse 12, Jesus says this. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, he, he loved us enough to like, like really come here, right? That's love. But then he says this in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his or her life for their friends. The source of all life, Jesus, for the sake of relationship with us, allows his umbilical cord to the Father to be cut. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the heavenly realms, I do not know what happened. It's beyond my brain's ability to comprehend. I don't, I don't see the further dimensional realities that I and we would need to see to understand when Jesus died what happened. But what we know from John is that the source of all life cut himself off from the Father and the Spirit and somehow entered into a version of death that doesn't make sense to us. The source of all life died. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Not only did the source of life make himself dependent upon an umbilical cord, 100%, 
needy and dependent. But he allowed his very source to be cut and died. That's love. And now that takes, this takes us to verse 14. Verse 14, John says, Jesus says this. John recounts it. Jesus says you, and he's speaking to everyone who's going to follow him now. It's all of us. Y'all, if we were down south. Y'all are my friends. If you do what I command you. Y'all are my friends if you do what I command you. And the command that he's giving to us is that we love one another. That's where he's all, it's all about love right now, right? All about love. But in light of Christmas, I want us to consider this. Um, and this isn't like typical Christmassy, like teaching. It, it, it should be. But, but I apologize if we're not going like in the festive direction of like eggnog and Christmas trees here, right? But we have to go here because this is where God directs our attention with the vine. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Love one another. Consider Mary's Christmas task. What did God invite slash command for her to do? What did God put in front of Mary to do? Well, Mary's call was to bear a special fruit, right? Is, is that an understatement? Can we just say, I don't know what, the, what language is appropriate, but Mary's task is to bear a special fruitfulness in birthing Jesus into the world. Like the, she's making the tabernacle inside of her womb through her umbilical cord and the Spirit of God, right? Wow. But that's a special fruit. And um, in so doing this, um, Mary, who loves God and loves people, is invited into verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Like, Mary lays her life down for you and for me. In giving the greatest gift to the world that the world has ever seen, Mary has to suffer through that. Think about, there's just a couple examples here right, in the beginning, right? Mary, here's your, here's your task. You're going to bear special fruit. The virgin was with child. And the virgin's reputation was crushed. Like, we get so excited sometimes in Christian circles about God choosing me and God use me and God do this and, you know, make, make me have an impact on the world. Right? We read all kinds of books about, like, you making your impression and influencing the world. We love that. Because, I think, because we're several steps removed from Jesus and what we think is, is that we're going to get popular, rich, famous, and loved and everybody's going to celebrate us right? It's, 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 it's Christendom and mission several steps removed from the source of life. But the truth is, like Mary is brought into this special task of God blessing the world, and she's in the epicenter of it. And now all of her neighbors, right, are having conversations about her, right? Hey, do you believe this uh, virgin with child stuff? you believe that? Uh, I don't either. <laughs> it's weird. Like, what's really going on here? There's something happening in the Mary household that's not good, right? In this, like, just wildfire rumors, right? And we wouldn't have been any different. We would have thought it very odd and suspicious ourselves. 
But that's Mary's task to bear that burden. With the shoulders of Jesus who carries our burdens with us. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for us. But we still have to labor in them and among them ourselves. So Mary's reputation gets crushed. Any plans that Mary had for her life, well, just go ahead and just throw them out the window right now. Because those things ain't happening. Because Mary, you're going to be tending to the tabernacle. Right? We think the priests are, and we think the scribes and all the religious leaders are tending to like the, the, the presence of God in the temple. No, Mary, you're, you're, you're going to be tending to the tabernacle for, for quite some time. Actually, all the way to the very end, you're going to be loving on him. That's your new job. Hope you like it. It's not going to be easy. Right? And, and then in the very end, here, here's what Mary gets to do. She, uh, as a mother... She gets to watch her baby boy, who she's been tending to, right, for 30-some years. She gets to watch him uh, be rejected. Not the first time he was rejected. Lots of times she gets to see her baby boy get, like, just nearly pushed off a cliff and get rid of him, and we hate him, and who do you think you are? That's a hard thing for a mother's heart to carry. Hard thing. But in the very end, she sees Jesus rejected, tortured, and then crucified. Her heart gets crushed. She sees it. Right? At least in our culture, we're, like, we're, we think we're great, we're probably marginal people, but at least when we execute someone, it's off behind closed doors somewhere. Romans, not so much. It was a public demonstration of Roman power and don't mess with Texas. Don't mess with us or this is going to happen to you. It was a marketing campaign of don't mess with Texas. That's what, that's what the crucifixion was. And Mary sees it. Moms, can you imagine... I'm not a mother. I can't imagine that. That's hard, right? The source of life invites us to follow him and to serve others in love, which will lead to our death. Your reputation, your heart, your plans, your crushing and here's the that's not again that I, that's the part that's not a normal christmas message right we want to see rudolph prance through saying god bless you mary gentlemen high five go home and eat an omelet that's what we want on the holidays right but but to do that would be lying it would be lying to you Because the gracious invitation that God gives us, the source of life, invites us to abide with him in life. And the things that he loves to invite us into will be things that crush us oftentimes. But then, in the crushing itself, and on the other side of the crushing, there is a life and a fruitfulness and a joy and a levity and a deep and meaningful satisfaction that can only come on that side. No other way. You want to walk with the source of life? He wants to walk with us deep and connected. And in some of the... Many of the things he wants to lead us into, it's going to crush us, but he'll sustain us through it, and he'll bring us life through it. I just want to say, we're already off Christmas topic, right? We're actually, we're in the epicenter of Christmas here. This culture would say, what are you talking about? This is weird, right? Um, 
Yeah, I, um, we, this is Christians and non-Christians. This is just fallen human beings. I, the older I get, the more amazed I am and become at our ability to self-deceive ourselves. I just, like, I, uh, there, are, there are things, I, I, I get to see things maybe that some people don't. I, I, you see things that I don't. And it is just amazing to watch people take steps away from Jesus, away, right? Right from, the, we go from the St. Nicholas to Santa Claus and Santa Claus to Rudolph and whatever that is in our lives, right? Wherever we are makes sense, right? The, the rec basketball league bringing in Grinch to be the holiday icon made sense to them, right? And, and if you said, hey guys, what are we doing here with Grinch? Like they'd probably get mad and justify themselves and call you an anti-holiday person and then you'd have to agree to disagree. Wherever we are makes sense to us. But the danger, right? And ah, I see this so much of the time. And like, and typically, like the further someone is removed from the source, the less your words make sense to them, and you just become the fool and the idiot, and you're the you're the bad guy, right? But the further removed we get, the more deceived we become. Um, we got to watch that. We got to be careful of that because, like, I don't know, some of us are on a trajectory away from Jesus, like, because a lot of us, a lot of the time, are. And the further we get away, like the less reasonable we become, the less we're willing and able to hear, right? The prophets of old would speak the words of God, and then the people would want to throw them off a cliff and kill them, say, how dare you? And they'd call them false prophets. This, this fourth and final point, that Jesus invites us to follow him, and in so doing, to lay our lives down, we would all nod in agreement theologically. My fear is is that the thing that God is putting in front of us to do, we so much don't like and don't want to do that thing that we deceive ourselves and say, no, that's not what God is asking me to do. That's not it. It's, that's, I'm going to do this thing because clearly God is over here doing this. I don't say this to condemn us. I'm speaking this for myself too. I could point to three examples in the last year where this was my trajectory. I can feel it now. And it just takes me time to wake up. But I just want us to be aware of this, that we have such a deep ability to deceive ourselves. And then in so doing, we will use our words to deceive others around us so that they enter into the narrative of wherever we're at is a good place to be. Several steps removed from Jesus, but we don't realize it, but we're just creating the narrative that we're good, everything's right, everything's good, I'm in the place I'm supposed to be, praise the Lord. No. So Jesus is the source of life. Abide in him, number one. Jesus is the source of life. And he makes himself needy and dependent on the umbilical of Mary in order to draw close to us. Number two, appreciate him. Jesus is the source of life and the source of life dies. He gets cut off volitionally from his life connectivity to the Father and the Spirit. He does so, right? He, 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 he dies. Life dies. Because of that, what do we do? We, we worship him, and we're going to in just a second. Fourth and finally, the source of life invites us to follow him in love, laying our lives 
down, abiding with him in the things that feel like death and crush us. But in so doing, there is an abiding that can lead to a life and a fruitfulness that is otherwise impossible. So follow him. Band, come on back up. We're going we're gonna to do all of those things. We're going to abide with him, appreciate him, worship him, and then say, Jesus, in my self-deception, where I don't want to die, I want what I want. Help me to hear your voice above my own. Help me. Sorry about that. So Merry Christmas, huh? Everybody, we good? It is good news. It is such good news. It's just different than what we think good news is. Let's take our cues from the source and let him define what good news is for us. It's the only path to life and fruitfulness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, protect us from ourselves. God, I ask that you would protect us from the world and the culture that tries to squeeze us into it. Father, the only protection we have is to abide close with Jesus. And Father, I pray by your spirit even now that you would resurrect uh, a connection of a deep order in each and every one of us, that you would open up the pipeline, the umbilical cord of life that flows from you to us so that we would be those who receive it as those who are connected to you. Without it, we don't have a chance at really anything in life, relationships, vocations, doing any good, growing in any manner of character. Father, we are lost and on our own. But with you, there is great hope. No need for skeletons and grinches here. There is life and joy and hope. And we just want to say we want all of you. And whatever, whatever comes with that, Father, we want to be the people that celebrate that and receive that and walk with you in it. However painful it might be for a time, whatever heart-crushing it provokes for a period, we just want to be wherever you are, wherever you are calling us to be, we want to be with you. And I pray that you would be furious over us in your love and in your grace to keep us in that spot and to bring us into that spot connected to you. You are the true vine. We are your branches. And we celebrate it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.